You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Email client vulnerabilities reported. Worries about Russian and Chinese software and hardware vendors. Security and trade policy notes. Finn Fisher's found used in Turkey. The data scandal that brought down Cambridge Analytica moves to the University of Cambridge. But there, the issues seem to be security, anonymization, and possible oversharing. Adobe and Samsung issue patches. And a California high school student is accused of fishing for grade books. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, May 15th, 2018. Researchers report a vulnerability in the way email clients render content encrypted with the widely used PGP and SMIME protocols. Jettisoning PGP, as some advise, seems unwise, since, as many others say, encryption is better than no encryption, and exploitation, while clever, isn't trivial. Graham Cluley's blog offers some reassurance. He says, The sky is not falling. Stop freaking out. It's probably a good idea to not load images by default, and some people are advising that you not load HTML by default either. Russian and Chinese companies face an increasingly complicated set of sanctions, restrictions, and suspicions in Western governments. The basic issue is that the companies are thought to be too close to Russian or Chinese security and intelligence services. The U.S. administration's expressed intent to relax sanctions against China's ZTE has come under criticism from observers who see ZTE products as a security threat. U.S. intelligence officials have expressed security concerns about both ZTE and Huawei devices, and the Department of Defense has ordered a halt to sales of ZTE devices in military exchanges. The U.S. Department of Commerce recently banned ZTE from purchasing U.S. components and software, mostly Qualcomm chips and Android software, which amounted to a near-corporate death penalty. The department's decision was a response to ZTE's evasion of international sanctions against Iran, North Korea, and a handful of other countries. The U.S. administration's gesture towards a lifeline for ZTE draws criticism from those who see ZTE as a security threat and not merely a sanctions evader. President Trump is in the process of negotiating some form of reprieve, which he's indicated will be part of larger trade negotiations with China. Probably security negotiations, too. It's perhaps worth noting that China is closely interested in upcoming U.S. talks with North Korea. Huawei is also under suspicion, most recently over its partnership with Chinese authorities to establish surveillance networks covering Yingjiang province. That province is noted for its relatively large share of China's Muslim population, an ethnic and religious minority that's long been a target of government surveillance 
and influence operations. Huawei's participation in the surveillance program has aroused concerns internationally that the company's products and cooperative practices could easily be turned against external as well as internal targets. Canadian media, notably The Globe and Mail, are expressing particular skittishness about Huawei. The company has made significant inroads into that country's markets. Turning to Russian companies, the Netherlands has decided to ban Kaspersky products from government networks. The Dutch justice miniature, Ferdinand Grapperhaus, informed Parliament that Kaspersky Lab security software poses a national security risk to the Netherlands. Russia, Grapperhaus said, has an active program in cyberspace targeting Dutch interests, and the risk of using Kaspersky products is unacceptably high. The Justice Minister also urged Dutch companies to do likewise. It's a precautionary measure. Netherlands authorities say they've found no evidence that Kaspersky software is being abused, but the company is too close to the Russian government for comfort. Grapperhaus cited British and U.S. concerns about the company in his letter. Kaspersky said, quote, Kaspersky Lab is very disappointed with this decision by the Dutch government, based on theoretical reasoning, especially given that Kaspersky Lab is in the process of implementing a global transparency initiative specifically aimed at alleviating any concerns. Quote. Some within the U.S. government are wondering whether bans and sanctions are an unmixed good. They're aware of the security issues and take them seriously, but they also see uncomfortable room for retaliation by Russia and especially China. Suppose Beijing gets its back up when a U.S. tech company complies with a U.S. subpoena, they ask. Advocacy group Access Now says it's found evidence Turkey's government is using Finn Fisher spyware tools against dissidents. The New Scientist reports finding that the University of Cambridge's Psychometric Center culled data from a Facebook personality quiz, My Personality, and shared it with hundreds of researchers over a period of four years. Some three million individuals were affected. The data was poorly secured and imperfectly anonymized. This is the same data collection project whose results were used by now-defunct Cambridge Analytica. One wonders whether responsible human subjects research review boards at Cambridge were asleep at the switch or simply failed to recognize that the project might require their oversight. TELUS eSecurity recently published the 2018 edition of their Global Encryption Trends study. The report highlights how organizations are deploying and managing encryption around the world. John Grimm is Senior Directory of Security Strategy at TALIS eSecurity. One of the big trends that we saw over the last year is many more people are using multiple clouds. And what that has, has caused is some difficulty in managing encryption processes. So if you, if you dig a, a layer beneath, you find that uh, the reason people are encrypting has changed. Over the past several years, one of the big drivers for encryption has been compliance regulations. So needing to, to check a box, if you will, or show that you're doing diligence in some form to protect data. And that's still a big driver, but the, the drivers that have really risen over the last couple of years, as shown by this survey, is the need to just apply increased diligence to protecting your customer's information or protecting things like your, your company's intellectual property. Although compliance is still a major driver, uh, we're starting to see folks applying much more diligence uh, to just good practice of protecting specific targeted data types. The move to the cloud 
has made that difficult in some ways because now their data is so many more places. And and one of the, the trends that this survey also revealed is the difficulties that folks are having finding all of their data, finding all the different places that it's going. Yeah, one of the things uh, that stood out to me in the report was the difficulty people have in managing their keys. Absolutely. The more you use encryption and, and any sort of cryptographic process, the more diligence you have to pay to managing keys. And it's, it's a relatively simple problem when you've got a limited number of encryption deployments, limited amounts of data that you're, you're encrypting. Uh, but once you get to a, to a state where you're encrypting multiple databases or data stores, uh, you're encrypting at rest in motion, uh, you're using multiple public clouds and encrypting in each of those, as, as you get further and further into it, it gets really hard to do the job of tracking keys properly. And, and the, the most important, the linchpin of any good encryption system is how well you protect the key. And, and at the end of the day, uh, if you don't account for that key through its entire life cycle from the time that it's created to the time that it's retired, there are actually quite a few phases in the middle there. And, and it becomes a very big accounting problem to keep track of keys if you're following best practices such as rotating or changing uh, your encryption keys uh, every X amount of time in accordance with best practice. Another thing that stood out to me was uh, you all dug into how organizations protect data at rest when it's in the cloud. And it was interesting to me to see the different approaches people take towards encrypting that data. Well, I, I think we're seeing a bit of a perfect storm in terms of people's need to, to change how they're approaching it. The fact that folks are using multiple cloud providers um, in many cases, the, the public cloud providers have done a nice job maturing their encryption tools over the last few years. But if you are using multiple cloud providers, you're going to use the individual encryption tools of each one. So now you're, you're putting an extra burden on your staff to learn those tools. And it becomes a lot more challenging to have a very consistent policy across your enterprise when your administrators have to instantiate that policy across a different set of UIs and tools that they use. On top of that, one of the findings in this survey that's very consistent over the years is that the top threat to data is mistakes, mistakes that human beings make even in the, in the course of trying to do things right. You put together the multiple clouds, the multiple tools, the, the fact that administrators and people knowledgeable about managing encryption and keys, pretty difficult to find that skill set, to find and retain it. Um, and the fact that mistakes are are a big issue, it's no wonder that we're starting to see these instances pop up in, in the news of misconfigured encryption resulting in data leakage. That's John Grimm from Talus eSecurity. You can find the complete report, the 2018 Global Encryption Trends Study, on their website. Adobe yesterday patched 47 vulnerabilities in Acrobat and Reader, the products affected include Windows and macOS versions of Acrobat DC, Consumer and Classic 2015, Acrobat Reader DC, Consumer and Classic 2015, Acrobat 2017, and Acrobat Reader 2017. Samsung also patched, stopping six critical bugs in its handsets. In a little bit of welcome good news, Researchers at the University of Florida have tested a method of detecting cloned fraudulent gift cards at the point of sale by the unstable jitter that cloning introduces. Similar techniques could be applied to cloned ATM cards. Crooks are fishing for Apple credentials. The bait is a GDPR hardening offer. Criminals always chum the Internet with fish bait drawn from current events. 
and GDPR goes into full effect in 10 days. Expect more of this, and be careful what emails you open and what links you follow. Finally, a California high school sophomore is facing 14 felony counts for getting some teachers or teacher to enter their online gradebook credentials into a bogus site. He's said to have changed grades for several students, raising some and lowering others, but he didn't get to his own transcript before the Concord, California Police Department got to him. The student who was arrested is a minor, just 16, who apparently did it for the lulls, and we won't repeat his name. The kid did go to a local TV station and say that fishing the Mount Diablo Unified School District was like taking candy from a baby. He says he did so because he did kind of want to give awareness to cybersecurity. We sympathize with his aggrieved family. As his father put it, quote, I'm frustrated he did this and I don't want him in juvenile hall, quote. An interesting side note, the police used a dog to sniff out the location of an SD card hidden in a tissue box. Like we said, we won't mention the youth's name, but we will give a shout-out to the dog, a pleasant-looking lab named Doug. He's got a nose for removable storage devices. So, good dog, Doug. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, welcome back. Um, we had a story come by from NPR, and this was uh, it was called A Needle in a Legal Haystack Could Sink a Major Supreme Court Privacy Case. Lots going on here. It involves uh, Microsoft and uh, data stored overseas. Fill us in what's going on. So there was this very prominent Supreme Court case came up for oral uh, arguments, I think, in January. Microsoft has a data storage facility in Ireland, and the U.S. sought and obtained a warrant to collect information that was housed at this facility. And Microsoft is trying to argue that that warrant is not applicable to data that's stored overseas. Went in front of the Supreme Court. We don't have a decision yet, but just sort of based on the legal analysis that I saw, 
oral argument went very, very poorly for Microsoft. It kind of looked like they were going to lose. Hmm. Enter Congress, uh, who steps in before this case is even decided, and they pass uh, as part of a much larger omnibus spending bill what's called the Cloud Act. And, of course, it has one of those clever acronyms, Clarifying they Lawful. They always do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Clarifying Lawful Overseas Use of Data. And this would sort of uh, make the Microsoft the United States issue moot. And the, what, what the act does is it gives an incentive to our government and to foreign governments to make bilateral one-on-one agreements that would allow the tech companies to honor court-approved search warrants. So it would encourage the United States to make some sort of agreement with Ireland where they would agree under which circumstances a U.S. warrant would apply at an Ireland facility. Hmm. The way they're able to enforce this is they say that if if the company does not come up with some sort of bilateral agreement with uh, an overseas territory, then the presumption is that the warrant is valid and that the company would have to execute the warrant. So that's how they're going to try to enforce this legislation. So there are a couple of issues here. Hmm. Uh, One is that is sort of more of a transparency issue. This piece of legislation has been in the works for a while in Congress, but it was tucked into a 2,100-page omnibus spending bill. People just didn't really realize that the act had been incorporated into the bill, so there was really no time for public consideration or public comment. And, you know, I think that's pretty detrimental to both transparency and potentially the long-term outlook of this legislation. Having said that, I think the tech companies support this because – A, avoids the worst case scenario where in all circumstances they have to abide by uh, U.S. law enforcement warrants. They can come up with these uh, extraterritorial agreements. And it also sort of passes the burden on to the government. They can tell their customers, now according to this Cloud Act, if there isn't some sort of agreement, we do have to hand over your data even if it's stored overseas. That might help them blunt the uh, publicity hit if they say, you know, the government passed this law, they're forcing us to do it. What's very interesting to me in terms of future outlook is what's going to happen with the Supreme Court case. The Solicitor General's office under the Trump administration filed a petition with the court. It was basically just an amicus brief, so a friend of the court brief arguing why this particular case should be moot in light of the new legislation. And we'll see if that impacts the court's decision, if they decide to dismiss the case, or if they decide to qualify their opinion based on this new information that they have. But I think it was certainly surprising that Congress, which, as we know, doesn't really do anything, uh, <laughs> was able to get its act together, even if it was what amounts to a footnote in a, in a large piece of legislation uh, to address a very live legal problem. Hmm. All right. We'll keep an eye on it. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With Identity Orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks. Migrate from one IDP to another and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge. 
and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.